Life's not about how to survive the storm. It's about how to dance in the rain. That's a wonderful quote that's running round on the internet. Whoever first wrote it, it's incredibly apt as we learn to use conflict as our opportunity for positive change. This is skill number two from the book Everyone Can Win, about handling conflict constructively. Today, we'll be polishing your creative response to conflict, and that begins with asking ourselves, is this a problem or a challenge? With skill number one in our previous session, we chose our win-win strategy by stepping back from our opposing positions and then investigating each person's needs so that we can steer towards the best possible outcomes for everyone involved. Now, this second skill, creative response, focuses on our mindset as we do that. It's how to dance in the rain. The creative response is about turning problems, hostile remarks, even chaos into challenging, creative opportunities. It's about making a commitment to head towards the positive, to extract the best we can manage from this situation. Well, I'm not saying that's easy, but I do know that things go a lot better when I decide to head that way. What do those relationship storms look like? Well, Perhaps the situation looks hopeless and it's really got you down. Or you just had a business deal go sour. You might have missed out on something that you really wanted. Or something you did upset somebody else. Perhaps you've just made a giant boo-boo. Or you thought you'd met the man or the woman of your dreams and off they went with your best friend. Life is going to throw at us all sorts of events that can make us furious or send us sliding into depression, or even despair. They test our mettle. They're all important moments to engage our creative response. How do we bring out the best of ourselves and become proactive here? I like to think about these steps. There are four of them. Step number one is to choose your very first response. Well, when we react, we behave impulsively and we're not in charge. We tell ourselves that somebody or something has made us react that way. We've been driven by fight, flight or freeze, those primitive survival mechanisms that worked well for our ancestors under threat in the jungles, but they rarely serve us well for delicate person-to-person issues. We'll need to respond rather than react. And we can learn new ways. We have an incredible potential way beyond our instinctual reactions. We can choose how we're going to think about a problem and what we'll do next to turn it around in some way. At the first signs of conflict, we're likely to contract. It's like a startle reflex. We disconnect from the other person to separate and protect ourselves or to gather our forces to head back into attack. And we do all that unconsciously. We might experience it as a body sensation, but it's not quite or or not only muscular. Our emotions, our thoughts and our energies will follow the contraction into a pretty dark hole. 
you're hurt or shocked by what the other person has just said. And of course, sometimes your best response will be to disengage and to leave. But make that your considered response, not just a flight reaction. Most frequently, your best response will be to engage and to meet the challenge. But make that your considered response too, not just a lash-out-fight-back reaction. That's the time to choose to connect. So ask yourself, what's best here? Will I stay? And if I stay, can I connect rather than contract? Can I flow with this conflict? Our aim is to turn opponents into partners with whom we can create better solutions. Whether or not the other person is also using a win-win approach to the conflict, the skill for us is to consciously involve ourselves with the other person's energy, flowing with it, and directing it positively at each opportunity. Sound travels, light travels, and so does your energy. It's directed by your attention. Let's talk a little more about energy. The study of physics is all about the mechanics of how energy works. It's the invisible, creative force that's directing the whole of our physical world, from the tiniest particles to the vast movements of the stars. Our awareness, attention and presence are intricately linked to this underlying creative field. Wherever we place our attention, this underlying creative energy follows. If we're focusing on a project, for example, we'll sense its support helping moving us forward, and it feels good, we're flowing along. When we meet a conflict, it is a conflict because this energy is blocked, and it makes us feel uncomfortable. While we stay contracted, the energy stays blocked. Nothing really shifts. But as we connect with other people and let our souls be really present to them, our awareness goes out towards them, and this underlying field of creative energy tags along too. It's the hidden force that creates positive change. Our attention focuses our awareness and the underlying energy, like a beam from a torch playing on the area that needs sorting out. Say you feel stung and alienated by something a friend has just said to you, and you can't help it, you react and contract. Contact falls away. So fix that first. Aim to connect. Give your friend your full attention. Become as present to them as you can manage. And the creative energy will follow your focus and something will begin to shift. But how do we connect when the truth is we actually hate the conflict? So, some tips. Firstly, get centred. Remember that spot in your belly from which energy flows? Take a deep breath. (sighs) Breathing always helps. And then focus your attention onto the other person as fully as you can. Allow yourself to be present to them and to what's going on for them. And as soon as you do that, you're connected. You might still be a bit wary, but you've moved beyond the contraction. The creative energy for moving forward is no longer blocked. What happens next? Well, you'll just do the next ordinary thing that comes to hand to do. You might ask a question or find yourself settling back and taking another deep breath. Any strategy you design will be better if you're connected. 
there's more rapport and more trust, and our behaviour naturally becomes more appropriate because we're attending to what's really going on. You're alone and fretting about a conflict that you just can't handle yet, and it's getting you down. Put those anxious thoughts to one side for a moment, and as Obi-Wan Kenobi says in the Star Wars movies, may the Force be with you. Just for a moment or two, direct this unseen energy onto all about this problem. Do so by giving the issue your open attention. Uh, In other words, don't go into any details, just overview it and bathe it in that positive creative energy. You're paying attention on purpose to the unknown, that field where nothing is necessary but anything is possible. It's a form of mindfulness practice. It naturally includes your desires that things work out well ultimately for all concerned. Just don't try to dictate the hows or the whats of this. Just offer your attention and the energy will follow. And energy creates change. Try this connecting thing with the rest of your day today. Take a second to conjure up some sense of all about your day. And now connect to that whole sense of it and greet it. Give it a moment of your best attention. You don't know what it will bring. So be intimate with it. Move your attention closer so you can find out. Offer it a welcome as you would a good friend who was arriving at your front door. Try it on something that you're really looking forward to. It'll help you be touched by it and enjoy it even more. And once you begin to trust that your conscious connecting really does make a difference, begin doing it for an event that might be rather fraught. At first, you might have to pretend that you're offering some sort of welcome, but try to imagine that it could actually hold a new opportunity for you, even if you've got no idea yet for what. Say it's your least favourite party or a difficult meeting or a project you keep putting off, a tough negotiation, even a court hearing. Mentally greet or acknowledge the event, move your energy outwards to meet it and include it. Connect to the people involved and particularly acknowledge those who you're presently in opposition to or you don't like very much. Maybe you can imagine yourself giving them a respectful bow. You're taking charge of the atmosphere and you're becoming proactive. And if you're not quite there yet, and you have the time, just take a little longer to mentally greet, acknowledge, and connect to all the factors that are involved. It is a learnt skill. Now, have you connected? Are you ready to say to yourself, ah, conflict, what an opportunity? (laughs) Or maybe not yet. If you still can't believe that this situation has a chance to transform into an opportunity, you are probably running an internal monologue that's competing with this new intention. Much of our mind chatter is built on resistance, an inner state of no to whatever's going on. A judgment we make about, that's not right, that's stupid, that shouldn't be. So as well as choosing to make contact, we'll bring out the best of ourselves if we take step number two, and that's to acknowledge the situation for what it is. 
doesn't mean we have to like it or agree if we don't. Of course, we don't enjoy listening to someone complain and we mind if we don't get the help we need. But it does mean that we accept that that's how it is or how they are or that they do believe that. Perhaps they were incredibly careless and something important has slipped through the net. Our standard reaction to such an issue might be fury. Our mind chatter is running riot. But hey, that mistake's already happened. Our lashing out about who was right and who was wrong is actually a form of self-protection. It keeps us away from really experiencing this new and uncomfortable reality. Can we first arrive at where we currently are, the state of affairs now? We've got a terrible mess to sort out. Perhaps what we've really got to accept is they did leave me for someone else or we did lose that big client. First, start with the facts without any emotions. It's just so. Hold that mind chatter. Hold off that judging business long enough to settle down into it. Often it's only a small shift. After our initial reaction, our internal thoughts can slide reasonably easily along to something like, oh well, that is how it is, might as well face it. But sometimes acceptance is a really big transition and it won't happen quickly. Sometimes the issue is so huge that it includes all that is, has been, will be, and perhaps can never be in that relationship. Perhaps it's about health, your own or someone you love. Perhaps it's about a huge disaster in your personal circumstances. Acceptance might take months, even years. But there can be many small positive steps towards it along the way, and each step in itself is a great achievement. You'll certainly know when you've acknowledged even a part of a big issue, it might come with a sigh. And then you can sense how it really is for you. You stop holding yourself away from it. You stop fighting it and your judgments about it fall away. And your actions as you address some part of the issue are more grounded and naturally more appropriate. You're inside it now and able to live it from that base. Big issue or smallish, all you're doing is acknowledging really acknowledging the situation as it is right now. You stop fighting the facts. Pause just for a moment. Have you got something in your life that's really distressing you? Say very gently to yourself, that's how it is. That's how it is. And notice your breathing changing. Does acknowledging mean that you give up? Well, not at all. You still press forward towards something better. It's about starting that push from where you actually are. When you really accept the problem, you can take charge and steer your response. Now can you say, ah, conflict, what an opportunity. Sometimes you'll be trying, but it feels like you're asking yourself to settle down on a bed of nails. You try to accept what's so, but up pops, but, but, 
he shouldn't have spoken to me that way, or they ought to be doing their share of the work, or they must do what I say, or this is so unfair. Our mind chatter just won't settle down, and it's extremely negative. Can we get to the root of this problem? Sometimes it's because there's a perfection mindset colouring our thoughts. It's insidious, and our judgments can invade the smallest incidents. Our thoughts run rampant about someone who's just left their dirty coffee cup in the sink, or the car beside us on the highway that won't let us change lanes. We're judging everything. There's a constant stream of mind chatter going on. Is this good enough? Usually not. Does this meet my standards? And that's a pretty high bar that we set. Or who's right here? They're just so stupid. Or how dare they? Or this is a disaster. This should not be. Of course, you might be rating yourself against that perfection measuring stick. How do you pull yourself down? Like this? What's the point of trying? I'm never going to get anywhere. Or I'm no good at this. I'm frightened they won't like me. I'm wearing the wrong clothes. I didn't get enough done today. That's my one. I can beat myself up a lot with that. These poor ratings that we impose on ourselves are at the root of a lot of our negative thoughts. We're using a perfection measuring stick and we'll find winners and losers all over the place, at the kitchen table with your partner or kids, in traffic jams, at work with your boss or your co-worker. Conversations slide all too easily into who's right and who's wrong. If we demand perfection, we won't take a risk for fear of getting it wrong, and we'll work too hard, we'll get depressed, and we're very likely to alienate others around us. This demand for perfection is leading us into anxiety, isolation and frustration. And it stops us accepting what is. It's our bed of nails. It's these judgments that stop us from resting down into reality. We're suffering from a faulty worldview. Because life is not about being perfect. We're not perfect and no one is. Talking about mind chatter, Jake told me about when he'd bumped into an old acquaintance of his in a coffee shop queue. He made the mistake of asking how he was, and the guy immediately bombarded him with his conspiracy theories on COVID-19 and G5 technologies. And Jake was really irritated, and his mind chatter started racing. This guy's a nut job. He's a twit. How could anyone carry on like that? Jake would have loved to ignore him, but the reality was that they were both stuck together for the time being, waiting for their coffees. So Jake put his judgments to one side and instead reminded himself, Ah, conflict. What's a creative response here? What's the opportunity? Okay, he thought, this is another human being. I really don't like his ideas, but let me hear what the world is like for him. 
Jake chose to connect and asked him, What would you like to see happen in regard to all this? Well, the guy's ideas on better communication and openness from the government and about personally protecting his family weren't that unreasonable. It was probably true that the general public don't have the full story and that there are no definite reassurances available. The queue was moving slowly, so Jake helped the conversation along by asking the guy if all of this made him want to move away from the city. And he said yes, he wanted to, but his wife wasn't willing, and this was causing a lot of conflict and confusion at home. Jake could relate to him much better as he opened up a bit about that. He listened to the guy's issues and found a couple of points of contact. Jake said that as they'd parted company, they both smiled warmly at each other, and usually after seeing him, he kind of had to shake him off. I asked him what he thought had made the difference, and he said it was because he'd chosen to connect this time, and he'd accepted how he was. Obviously, the interaction worked out a lot better. Jake seemed quite pleased with how he'd handled that enforced chat. Life is not about being perfect. Life is actually about new possibilities, and it's about learning. And conflicts are our school. Well, that leads us to step three, and that's to open yourself up to learning something new from the current situation. Can we replace our perfection mindset with one that's all about discovery? What does that look like? When we were young children first learning to walk, we didn't go right foot, wrong foot. Each fall was as interesting as the next step, and everything was part of this great walking experiment, including the tumble. We started life with a discovery mindset. We were curious. The discovery mindset says, how fascinating, what are the possibilities here? We need to reclaim that natural curiosity as adults. And we can do it when we ask ourselves, what can I learn here? I wonder what this is really about, or how else could I see this? Or perhaps, I wonder why that's so important to them. Or, what's a creative way to handle this one? That's interesting. Why did that happen? When we engage our discovery mindset, we reconnect with our curiosity, our enthusiasm, and our urge to explore. If we accept what is right now, we can begin to play with the possibilities, asking ourselves, what can I learn here, helps us to shift from fixed positions and and to consider a much broader range of options, ones that might suit everyone a whole lot better. Perhaps you'll find new doors opening that you'd never have explored without the problem. A model of perfection arises from our desire for excellence. That's the goal. But as we've discussed, the path to that goal is strewn with judgments and all those downsides. A model of discovery also captures the desire for excellence, but in a much healthier way. Excellence becomes the path itself rather than the destination. You allow for mistakes. With a discovery mindset, there are no failures, only learnings. When you fall down, you pick yourself up. 
and know where the pothole was so you can walk around it the next time. A person who has gone too far knows just how far they can go. So no winners and losers, just winners and learners. Risks and learning go together. Some of our best learnings will come from our mistakes. The compulsion to always be right also stifles initiative. An organisation which tolerates errors and allows a reasonable amount of risk-taking attracts a dynamic staff. If they know they won't get balled out for an error and that there's support for them to fix it or move beyond it, they'll be much more open. Have you noticed that you have more respect for another person who can comfortably admit to a mistake? It actually makes them appear more trustworthy in your eyes. Mistakes will still need correcting. You might have fallen short of your goals and you'll want to do better the next time. If an important contract is cancelled, you'll want to rethink and regroup. But with your discovery mindset, you acknowledge the problem and then immediately use it as an opportunity for exploration and for learning. Recovery from errors builds our resilience. It actually does wonders for our self-esteem. So don't let your self-esteem depend on always being right. Even though it does take courage, for example, to call a halt to a project that's not working out, particularly when it means admitting a mistake, we're likely to defend our self-image in the face of our errors. And we can even find it hard to recognise our errors if too much depends on never making them. When we're willing to learn, we're proactive in conflict. And that's quite different to forcing our point of view on the situation. We allow room for developing a new point of view, for seeking out a different solution to the one that we first thought of. Perhaps there's something that could be different in the future. We take responsibility. That's response-ability. Our ability to respond. The problem becomes a playground for exploring, learning, understanding, addressing issues and moving forward. We empower ourselves, we take ownership of problems, we take the initiative. A good question can be our best friend on this path, like, does this problem offer a doorway to some new understanding or a better method? Or how can we improve this situation? We might even get a tickle of excitement. Problems begin to look like intriguing puzzles, with something better hiding below the surface, waiting for us to bring it out. What will make the difference so that he stops complaining to me all the time? What else can I try to get the kids to help with the washing up? What are we freed up to do now that that $7 million order has just been cancelled? Ask what's possible now this has happened. Good questions hook the mind and they draw out that underlying creative energy and the answers will begin to trickle in or sometimes pour in and life becomes fascinating. I have a favourite question that I ask myself first thing each morning. What wonderful thing can I say yes to today? It helps me to set sail for the positive. Have you ever told yourself how you want things to turn out? It's going to be just fine. It'll all work out. You often determine how something will turn out by how you think about it beforehand. 
If you have to attend your spouse's office party and you decide it's going to be awful, well, it probably will be. Try instead, something particularly good is going to happen. I wonder what it will be. Decide to make the best of it and you'll find ways to have a good time. Your attitude is directing your actions and helping things turn out well. Just another opportunity for turning frustration into fascination. Here's another example. You're worried about a new idea that you're trying to push through at work. Is it really such a good one? Will others try to block it? Try instead. The best answers are going to emerge here. Rise above wanting a particular outcome. Just be clear that however it turns out, that will be its best direction. And then the underlying creative force can work its magic as long as you don't try to direct it too closely. You're running late for an appointment. Ask yourself, how come this is actually perfect timing? Perhaps you're facing the end of a relationship, and so far you haven't been able to reconcile your differences. You're meeting tonight to sort it out or finish it. Whichever way it goes, you want to see the outcome as for the best. As you cope with your butterflies in your stomach, ask yourself, how will the greatest good emerge from this? Set sail for the positive and then live in your question. By and by, answers will come. No, it might not be a happy ending. And that might really be a happy ending when you can look back at it from the future. Set sail for the positive Just don't determine what that positive is going to look like. Stay open to the possibilities. I regard Karen as rather an expert on creative response. She's very clever about quickly diffusing difficult situations. So I listened up when she told me about her recent experience when she was checking in at the airport for a plane trip. She was a little late. Well, that's usual for Karen. She knew her bag was overweight. Well, that's pretty usual for her too. But she usually gets away with it. She was next to be served, but the man behind the counter looked harassed and closed off. And it wasn't looking good for her, late and with an overweight bag. She could feel herself shrink inside herself. I guess we'd now call that a contraction. Her mind chatter went to, he's going to bring down bureaucracy on me. Then she did a quick reframe of her negative thoughts. Come on, Karen, how can you make this okay? Are you going to react or respond? And here's what she told me she did. So I mentally reached out and connected with him, let my energy flow towards him, greeting him in my mind from afar as though we'd just been waiting to meet each other. It could be worse, she joked to him as she arrived at his desk. I could have six heavy bags and five screaming kids. She said her comment scored half a smile as he stared at his scream. He informed her there were no more window seats and she'd requested one. So she came back with, well, gosh, it is hard to complain when I'm the one who was late. He seemed to appreciate that she wasn't taking it out on him, and he smiled a little more. Creative response was working. And then he didn't charge her for her overweight bag. 
She thanked him and genuinely wished him a good day and rushed off to catch her plane. She was both relieved and proud. She'd made the best of a difficult situation for them both. are we in these steps to arouse our creative response? You've taken step one and consciously chosen to set aside your reactions and instead make contact and flow. You've taken step two and acknowledged the situation for exactly what it is right now and stored that perfection measuring stick well out of the way. And you've taken step three and opened up to learning something new from this issue. So now you really are well on the way to step four, turning conflict into opportunity. Like turning sour milk into yogurt or making lemons into lemonade. Now we're really proactive. We search out the opportunities that the situation has to offer and perhaps we start thinking outside the square. We might develop a wide range of options. We've got lots of tips for you on that later in this series But for now, we're cultivating that mindset for creative response, a mindset that you hold to in the face of everything. You've been at war with the office printer for years. Management won't replace it, and it's always giving trouble. It's broken down again, just when you need to reproduce your report for an important meeting. What's possible now this has happened? How fascinating. Transform frustration into fascination. Try, ah, how fascinating, next time you're grinding your teeth in irritation. Analyse how to prevent it from happening again. Or find out what's still possible. This is the creative response that will head you back in the right direction and make you feel better and more resourceful. Every conflict is an opportunity to grow a wise heart. You want to be able to say to yourself with confidence, ah, conflict, what an opportunity. So, root out negative attitudes. Negative attitudes will often sneak in just when we're trying to transform conflict into opportunity. They pop into chance remarks, ours or other people's. Listen to the negative attitudes in these. I'll never be able to tell him. She won't listen. It's all hopeless. It's useless trying to do anything. I'll never get through all this work. I can't play the piano. These are the sounds of helpless and hopeless, and they're caught in our throwaway lines and they get in our way. So try these little reframes instead. I don't know how to tell him at the moment. She doesn't seem to listen. It seems hopeless right now. I haven't figured out what would help at this stage. I need a plan to help me get through all this work. I haven't learnt to play the piano yet. Offer slight reframes to the other person too when they seem to be implying that they're helpless or hopeless. A little tweak that implies that something has been wrong so far but could change in the future. Who knows what life will bring through the door if you leave the door open? Change those negative attitudes and the world just might shift. Ah, conflict. What an opportunity. (music) 
Here's the summary. Creative response is all about how we prepare ourselves to meet a conflict. We're after a mindset that will turn problems into opportunities or fascinating challenges. We've discussed four steps. Step number one, choose your first response. Move past those initial reactions and begin to flow. You're taking charge of your response and steering where you want to be heading. So connect rather than contract. Make contact rather than close off. Offer the situation your focused attention and the underlying forces of creative energy will play their part. Energy follows attention and energy creates change. Step two is to acknowledge the situation for exactly what it is. Start from there. Working out who's right and who's wrong stops you coming to terms with the facts. So put your mind chatter aside and let go of judging everything by unrealistic standards of perfection. Stop fighting the facts. They're your home base. And it's from there that you can head forward to positive change. Step three is to open yourself up to learning something new from this situation. Pull out your discovery mindset and greet each issue with an attitude of inquiry and exploration and allow room for mistakes. There are no failures, only learnings. Good questions hook the mind and draw out your creativity. Ask yourself, what can I learn here? Is there a better way to handle this? And set sail for the positive. Open up to the possibilities. And step four is about turning this conflict into an opportunity. So ask yourself questions like, given the facts, what's possible now? Hopeless and helpless attitudes don't support your creative response. So reframe your own and other people's statements so that they leave the doors open to future change. Turn your frustration into fascination. Ah, conflict. What an opportunity. You might like to have a look at our website at Conflict Resolution Network. Our headquarters are at crnhq.org. We've got transcripts of these audios and there's lots of extra reading and training material there for you to have a look at. And join me again when we move to skill number three in our toolkit for resolving conflicts constructively. It's about building empathy and it comes in two parts because there's a lot to say on this topic. Things go much better when the climate between you and others is warm rather than cold.